Today, we are starting a brand new series that I am really, really excited about. It's a series that we're calling Covenant. And uh, Covenant is, is not really a word that we use very often. And uh, every time that we talk about covenant partners, we always got to say that's our membership thing because people are like, what are you getting married to those folks? Or like, what's going on? You know, uh, this covenant is just not a word that we use very often, uh, but it's a word that is found over and over and over again in scripture. And so the, the point of this series and over the course of the next five weeks, what we're going to do is, is we're going to study the idea of the covenant. We're going to trace it clear through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And uh, what I hope for this series is that you will have uh, the assurance of how deeply uh, God loves you. The, his love for you is profound. And my prayer during this series is that each and every one of us would experience the love of God in a way that we've not experienced it before. And uh, this series was actually kind of inspired in me or, or born. Uh, the idea of it was, was born actually a couple years ago when I came across a, a teaching on the covenant uh, that absolutely uh, changed my life. It, it had a, such a, 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 an incredible impact on my life. And uh, I thought I, I, would, I need to share this. I would love to share this with the church, but just looking for the right time. And uh, this, this is the time. And uh, so I am really excited to share with you uh, all about the covenant and, and what that means. Now, because it's a, a word that we don't use very often in culture, uh, we've, we've got to get a handle on this even before we look at scripture or even before we get launched into this series. We've got to get a handle on what in the world is this word covenant and what does it even mean? Uh, well, if we were to define the word covenant, uh, it would be an all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly outlined parameters and promises. An all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly outlined parameters and promises. That's precisely why we call our members covenant partners. Because as we partner together for the cause of the gospel, there are certain expectations that we hold of those of you that are covenant partners and members here at the church. Uh, and we outline those as we walk through the class. Uh, but the flip side of that is that there's also expectations that you can have of us as a church as we partner together. This isn't a one-sided deal. It's a two-sided deal. And that's the, the, the reality or the distinction of the word covenant and why it makes it different from just a contract. Right? A contract is just something that has clearly outlined expectations and, and all these things that we have to live according to. But a covenant implies meaningful relationship. Does that make sense? Now, the biblical term covenant literally means to cut a deal. To cut a deal. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, next week all the steps of the covenant and all this kind of stuff. But I have a, a very foundational truth that I want to share to you today that comes out of this reality of the covenant as we find it in Scripture. It's all over in Scripture. Uh, covenants, a lot of covenants happen in the Old Testament. There's a covenant that God makes with Adam. Later on, just a little bit further down the biblical story, God makes a covenant with Noah. Then he makes a covenant with Abram, who's later known as Abraham. That's the one we're going to focus 
focus on for this series. We're going to be in Genesis 15 for like the next three weeks, so, so get used to it, right? Uh, so Genesis 15, that's the focus of this series, the covenant with Abram, later to be known as Abraham. God later makes a covenant with Moses. He also makes a covenant with David. And so there's covenants all over in the Old Testament, and yet in modern day culture, it's something that we don't really even grasp or even understand uh, the closest thing that we have or, or the first thing that we think of when we think of covenant is often marriage, right? Uh, we think of covenant, the covenant of marriage. But beyond that, we don't really have a framework to even understand this word covenant and what it means. So we're going to look at that because it's a really significant part of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, with God making all of these covenants. Now, it's also important that we understand that when we look at Scripture and we see all of these different kinds of covenants... Uh, between God and people, it's important for us to understand that even in ancient culture, a covenant was a common thing even between, between two people, not just between God and someone else, but between two people. They just enter into a covenant together. And so in ancient culture, this idea, this reality, and this practice of covenant is a common thing. And it's a, it implies this meaningful relationship so that when we get into covenant, we are in relationship, we're committed to one another, And in fact, the covenant goes so far as to say that when I enter into covenant with you, I am joining my identity with you. And we're going to talk about that a little more and in more detail next week. But people in this ancient culture are are together saying there are certain benefits and expectations that we can mutually have if we enter into covenant with, with one another together. And so we're going to join, we're going to merge our identities together and be in covenant. Uh, so it's a common thing in the ancient culture, and that's why we see evidence of it all over uh, in Scripture. And what we're going to talk about today is why would God take this, this common practice in ancient culture and begin entering into covenant with people in the Old Testament. And that's going to speak some really important truth into our life. And so I believe that, that God has some really, uh, a really important message to share with us this morning. And, and my heart and my prayer is that I would simply be his messenger and that he would speak directly to your hearts uh, this morning as we go around this. So since I said that the uh, covenant with Abram is our focus, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to be reading from the NIV to, to this morning, and I want you to follow along, and as has become my regular practice to give us a sense of, of context and what's going on, I'm going to read the whole chapter, right? Nothing, just a verse here or two uh, here in this church. We read the whole chapter. So here we are, Genesis chapter 15. It says this, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? Since I am childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so this servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your very own body will be your heir. And then God, he, God took him, that is Abram, outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Now he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land and for you to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will take possession of it? As the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all of these to him. He cut them in two. He arranged the halves opposite of each other. And the birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. We're going to talk about that two weeks from today in a sermon called Angry Birds. Yes. Yes. I am a fan. Okay? I am a fan. (laughs) I can't wait till that. All right? And then as the sun was setting... Abram fell into deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country that is not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go with your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. And then the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For since the Amorites have not yet reached, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And then when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. That's very significant. And on, the day, and on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And he said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. How'd I do? Yeah, thank you. When you get to those passages, you're like, and those guys. Uh, But I, I, I was practicing it and I think I did okay. Um, now, well, I, I want to point out some, some things that are really key and, and I feel like are really important here in this passage. The, the first thing that we have to understand is that in, earlier in Genesis chapter 4, God has promised Abram that the entire world would be blessed through him uh, and through his lineage. Now, that's a really huge promise in his life, that the entire world would be blessed through him. That's in Genesis chapter 12. And and just a little bit later, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is talking to God and he says, God, that's a great promise and all, but let me tell you what's going on in my life in case you don't, don't know, right? Have you ever felt like God doesn't know what's going on in your life? And so Abraham is saying, let me tell you, I don't have any children. And so this promise of yours requires that I at least have one kid, right? For my lineage to continue and for the whole world to be blessed through my lineage, I've got to have one. And right now, this this dude, the servant in my household, he's going to be my heir. And that's really significant because what what God says back is God promises that not only will all people be blessed through him, but he says, this person will not be your heir, but a son from your very own body will be your heir. And then God takes him outside and he says, look up at the stars. And he says, all these stars, if you can even count them, that's how numerous your descendants will be. And what Abraham says is amazing. He, he comes back to God and, and, and the Bible says that Abraham believed him and that it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Now, that's really significant because as we walk through the New Testament, New Testament authors, Paul and other, Paul included, and, and other New Testament authors often point back to that moment. And they said that Abraham himself is called righteous. He is made righteous and justified simply by his faith in the word of God alone. And so what we have is that this seed that through whom the entire world will be blessed because his lineage eventually leads to Christ. We know that because of the perspective that we have. It's credited to him as righteousness for hearing the word of God and believing it. And then all these thousands of years later, Jesus Christ comes. And in the New Testament, authors want to tell us that our righteousness is not our own, but rather is a righteousness that comes purely through having faith in the one Jesus Christ and believing on the person of Jesus Christ. That there is nothing that you can do today that will earn you favor with God through action. But rather the reality is is that you already have the favor of God and you need only to appropriate that in your life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's a really important point for us this morning, that all of these years back, at the very first seed of the hint of Jesus Christ, that all the world will be blessed through this man, Abram, that it was credited to him as righteousness as he believed on the word of God. A really important key. And what we will discover is that as, this, as God enters into covenant with Abram, so that the, 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 his line may lead to Christ and the world may be blessed through him, what we will learn in a couple weeks down through this series is that Jesus Christ himself walks through the stages of the covenant so that he may be in relationship with you and I. This is a phenomenal truth that's happening, the narrative that is already forming already in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and then clear through the scripture. It was credited to him as righteousness. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, my prayer and my heart is that the Holy Holy Spirit will lead you and call you into relationship with Jesus through faith and that you will respond in obedience. So that's a really important thing that we need to understand as we walk through this covenant. And so, but it's interesting to me that, that, that God says, you know, Abraham's like, you've got this promise in my life and I don't see it happening. I don't see any evidence of the promise because I don't have any kids. And then God reaffirms the promise and he takes him out to, to, to look at the sky and the heavens and the stars. And Abraham, he says, yeah, I believe you. It's credited to him as righteousness. And then God ups the ante. And he says, you know what? I brought you out. I'm the God that brought you out of Ur of the place of the Chaldeans. And now... I'm going to have you take possession of that land. And Abraham doesn't just believe him. Abraham says, oh, Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord. That's probably really important. Oh, sovereign Lord. How do I know? Because I don't have any evidence of your first promise and yet you're reaffirming the promise. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to believe you. But God then says, I'm going to allow you to take possession of this land. And it will be the land of your descendants. And Abraham says, but how will I know that I will take possession of it? And what God says is rather interesting. God says, go get a heifer. If I was Abram, 
I'd be like, go get your own heifer. You're God. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Why do I got to go get it for you? I asked you a question, right? That's what I would be like. I don't know what your relationship is like with the Lord, or I don't know if you feel free to kind of to talk to the Lord openly and honestly, but if it was me, I would be like, I asked you a question, and now you're just giving me more instructions. But first, I want to know the direction that I'm going. I want to know the assurance of the promise. I want to know what is the next step that I can live in faith for you. What does a heifer have to do with that? That would be me. But the reason that would be me is because I don't understand covenant language. Because when God says, go get a heifer. In a, in a culture, in an ancient culture where, where um, covenants were common among each other. And everybody was familiar of the first steps of how we enter into covenant. When, when, God, when, when Abram heard God say, go get a heifer, he didn't say, Psh, go get your own. His heart started pounding. Because he's like, are you serious? You are going to enter into covenant with me? Like this idea of going to go and get a heifer and a ram and a goat and the angry birds is covenant language. Right? It's covenant language of what God is promising to do. He is, he is basically saying, God is essentially saying, let me prove it to you. Abram's like, man, I don't know. Like, how in the world am I going to take possession of that land? How can I do that? I don't have the resources to do it. I don't have the talent to do it. I don't have anything that I can do to take possession of this land. And I don't have any kids. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my best to believe you in that promise, but how in the world am I supposed to know about this? Now, I don't know if God has ever given you a promise, those of you who are believers and you're following Jesus. I don't know if he's ever given you a promise. I don't know if he's ever called you according to his will in your life, but I can promise you that it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be easy to believe, and it's going to require that God comes through for you, and you're probably going to be saying, how in the world am I supposed to do that? But the reality is what God says, essentially is let me prove it. And so Abraham's heart starts pounding. And he's like, God is willing to enter into covenant with me. It's God's way of saying, I'm going to commit myself to you. And it's God's way of saying, you can know that you will take possession of that land because all that I have is yours and I'm going to be with you. Because remember, covenant was not just some, some contractual agreement between two parties. It implied meaningful relationship and it implied a merging of identities. And so Abraham is sitting there saying, how is this going to work? And God says, I'm merging my identity with yours. And then look what happens. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Which sounds a lot like Yahweh. And so essentially God says, I'm going to merge my identity and I'm going to give you part of my name. So your name is no longer Abram. It is now Abraham. And his wife, Sarai, Sarah, Yahweh. So God says, 
I am now committing myself to you in meaningful relationship. I am now merging my identity with you. All that I have is going to be yours. I am never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to make sure that this promise is fulfilled because of this covenant. And then what God does as it goes, and we're going to talk about all the steps of the covenant. So a lot of this is going to be puzzle pieces that start coming together. But, but essentially what God does as it comes to the point of being ready to make the covenant. And one of the first steps was walking through those, those blood sacrifices, those animals that have been cut in half. And what God does is he puts Abraham in a deep sleep and a smoking fire pot. What could that be? The presence of God. And what Genesis 15 tells us is that that smoking pot is, you know, symbolizing the the presence of God walks through those pieces on Abraham's behalf. And so not only does God say, I'm willing to enter into covenant with you, but God says, I'm going to seal it one-sided. Because I know that you're not capable of fulfilling all the steps and the, the requirements of the covenant. So I'm going to seal it on my end. And I'm going to fulfill it myself. Such a powerful truth. Now, if you're anything like me, the question automatically becomes, why in the world would God do that? Right? I mean, why would God take this this regular practice of covenant making and enter into a covenant with Abram As he's making these promises. I mean, wouldn't it be enough for God just to make promises? Why does he have to go through through all the smoking fire pot thing? Right? Why does he have to go through and make a covenant with Abraham? Why can't he just make promises to Abraham and then fulfill them? Have you ever thought about that? I was thinking about this this week and I'm like, I've got to tell this group at Emmaus Road the answer to that question. And I don't know. But I have an idea. Why would God enter into covenant with Abram? It's because God is purely relational. He is a relational God. Now, I don't know how you view God this morning. But there are some common common views of how we see God. And I would imagine that this strikes a chord with some of you. And a lot of times, the very first way, particularly for, for those of us who, who have placed our faith in Christ, and yet sometimes God seems, seems rather absent in our lives, a lot of times we begin to see God not as relational and not as someone that, who, who deeply loves us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and sending Him, but a lot of times we begin to see God as a vending machine. That here's what's wrong in my life, here's the promise that seems absent, and, and, and so I need to... To get this result, and all I got to do is if I put enough faith coins into the God machine, then I'm going to get out what I want, right? And sometimes we think of God that way. Man, I really need this. I really need you to come through for me. And so rather than seeing God as a person by which we can relate with, we say, I just need to bolster up my faith a little bit. And, and we don't put it in terms, we, don't, we place our faith outside of a relational context. And we say, I just need to, to believe, believe, believe. And then what we do is we put enough faith coins in the God machine so that he'll spit out what we want. But what we have to realize is that that view of God is not a relational view of God. And I don't know the answer to your question. 
I don't know why God is not coming through on, on whatever it is you're asking him to do. And I've had things in my life where he came through miraculously and, and, and gloriously, and he got all the praise and the glory, and I've had other things where he just didn't. And I can't tell you why. But if God were a vending machine, it would be a, an equation. Put in this many faith coins, and you'll get out what you want. But I want to, what I want to say to you today is that God is not a vending machine. He is a relational God. And he desires to be in relationship with you. And the other typical or common way of seeing God is that, that he is um, the, the cosmic force. You see this a lot. Sometimes we have a tendency to, to refer to God not as he, but as it. And, and when we place, when we use that, that kind of terminology of calling God or, or the Holy Spirit an it then the, the reality is that most likely we see God not as a relational being, but as a cosmic force. And that the cosmic force is just kind of doing everything that he wants in the world and in, 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 in everything, and that, uh, that he's just in control of everything that happens. Now, we talked about in our Rethink series that it's very dangerous theologically to say that everything that happens in our life is indeed the, the exact and perfect will of God. Because evil is a reality in our world and Satan is seeking to, to cause as much destruction as possible. So if we say that when this horrible thing happened, that was just the perfect will of God then we are called to love of God who would do that, number one. And then we are also denying the reality of evil. And so what I would want to say to you today is that God is not just a cosmic force and we're not all just puppet strings. But rather God desires to be in relationship with you. So that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as you walk through the evil in your life, you will not have a vending machine by which you can push the right button and get what you want, but you will have a person to walk with you who will never leave you or forsake you. You will have a person to walk with you who has indeed all the resources in the world and will love you through that challenge. Sometimes we turn God into a vending machine and we turn God into a cosmic force. And sometimes, and maybe this is you this morning, but sometimes we just see God as purely absent. And we're looking around, and the chances are that, that today there's someone in this room that walked through the doors of a church or this church for the very first time in a long time. And the question that you're trying to prove is, is God even there? And I would want to say to you today that the question of why in the world would God enter into covenant with Abram is because God is a relational God. And He loves you immensely and perfectly and profoundly loves you. And He may, and I don't understand all the purposes of God. Scripture says that, that, that the purposes of God are above our own human understanding. But what I can promise you is that as you walk through the evils in your life, as you walk through the challenges in your life, there is not a vending machine up there. There is a person 
who seeks to have relationship with you so that you may walk through that challenge knowing God. So that you may actually stay in contact with the love of God through the, most, through the deepest challenge in your life. Because that's who God is. He is a relational God. And He loves you. He loves you so much and He desired to be in relationship with you so deeply uh, that He sent His Son for you. He did not just Facebook you and invite you to be friends. God does not just say, you know what, I'm going to follow that guy on Twitter because I think he's pretty cool. God desires to be in relationship with you so deeply that he sent his son to die to pave the way so that those of us who are sinners, let me see, that's everybody. That's everybody, all of us. So that all of us may be in relationship with him. That's how intensely relational God is. Now, we get a cue from this based on how intensely relational you and I are, right? I mean, you and I, we want to be in relationship. We want to have friends. We want to be connected. In fact, we have this little thing called Newcomer's Night that we invite those of you that have just been to our our church a handful of times. And when you come there, we say, you know, let's celebrate what God has done uh, in your life and in the church. And and tell us, what do you like about Emmaus Road and why did you come back? And over and over and over again, the answer is because I felt connected. I came into this place and there weren't just a bunch of fake smiles that seemed really inauthentic. It was people that really wanted to get to know me. And the reason is because we want to be known. And isolation is one of the most dangerous things we can do because we remove ourselves from relationship. And so if we are hardwired for relationship and we're made in his image, that part of us is reflecting the relational nature of God. God is not just some cosmic force or or puppet master up there or vending machine. And I assure you that he isn't absent because what he essentially, what he was saying to Abraham is in the midst of your doubt, I will walk with you. I will be with you. And I commit myself to you. There's this big theological term that we call provenient grace. And provenient grace is essentially that even if those of you who don't know God this morning, he is chasing after you. He is pursuing you because he desires to be in relationship with you. So I don't know where you're at spiritually this morning. uh, And maybe you're here and you don't know him. I can say on the full confidence of scripture that God is pursuing you. He is chasing you because he desires to be in relationship with you. And I want you to know that today. We've got to start our study on the covenant with the the foundational truth that God is relational. Remember, covenant implies meaningful relationship. And so God enters into this covenant with Abraham in order to promise him that, in fact, you will get that land and I will be with you and I will never leave you. Or forsake you. God is relational. 
Let me give you just some, some truths about that. If God is relational, then that inevitably means that he loves you. He desires that each and every one of you would come to know Jesus Christ personally through faith in him. And I don't know where you're at this morning uh, in your relationship with God or, or if you're just checking this thing out or if this is your last ditch hope on church and Christianity. I want you to know today that God loves you deeply and profoundly. And it is my hope that you will experience that love as you walk through the joys and through the challenges of life. I also want you to know that if God is relational, part of this this promise that he gives Abraham and this covenant that he enters into is is the reality that he is present. And I know that some of you are facing challenges and you, and you believe in God, and you're, you have faith in Christ, but right now, God seems absent. And you're saying, where is he? What is he doing, if anything? And I want to say on the authority of God's word and what we learned from this scripture, that God is present with you through your challenge. Scripture promises that, that for those who are his children and those who have placed their faith in him, he will never leave you or forsake you. He is there, not always, right, not, not always obviously, but I promise you that he is working in your life. I promise you that he is there, and I pray that you would have the discernment to begin to understand the ways in which he is working and to begin to feel his presence more and more so that your faith may be bolstered up. I also pray that you have a community around you that as you can't feel the presence and the love of God in your life, that the faith of those who love you and love God would carry you through this difficult time because that's why we're here together. This is not some social club that we just gather together and listen to good music. This is the body of Christ and we are to be here for one another and to be the presence of God for each other when we can't feel the presence of God. But I want to give you the assurance on the reality of the word of God that God is present with you because he is a relational God. The vending machine does not care about you. And they don't care if you buy a Reese's or a Snickers. I'm sure it's a Reese's. <laughs> but a relational God loves you. And he cares about you. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants you to have relationship and community with people with whom to walk. God desires relationship. It would be one thing for God just to simply give a bunch of a string of promises to Abram. But God wants to go a step further than that. And he desires a relationship. And part of the reality of a relationship with God is that when things are going well, we can give him praise and honor and glory. And when things are going really bad, we can say what Abraham said as they were in relationship with one another. You know what, God? I'm having a hard time seeing this. Would you show yourself to me? Like, it's okay to be honest with God, right? If, if with anyone, we should be honest with God. You know, my prayer is often, God, for your glory, would you do this? Not for, not for my preference, not for something that I prefer, but God, for your name to be praised and for your glory. Would you do this? And then being in relationship with God and having the sure foundation of his love in our life allows us to come to the point in our faith that says, and even if you don't, I will still praise your name. Even if you don't, 
you are still worthy of my praise and my life. That's what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. It's a powerful thing. Being the relational God that he is, and based on this reality of the covenant, means that he is committed to you, whether or not you're committed to him. Right? You've heard that thing that says, I don't care how many steps you take away from God, it's only one step back. That's kind of goofy, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. Because he's pursuing you. And he loves you. And he is committed to you, whether or not you're committed to him. And so if you're taking steps away from God, you don't, we don't have to take all those steps back. We just need simply to turn around because God is chasing us. And then together we're going to get back to where we ought to be in, in, in our life and in our behavior and all these kinds of things. But God loves you and he's committed to you. Whether or not you're committed to him. And I've already said this. He's personal just as we are personal because we are made in his image. This is the foundational truth of the covenant that we have to understand. Before we go any further in the series, before we start talking about all the steps of the covenant and how how God walks through those and how Christ walks through those on our behalf and and for us and all these great, phenomenal truths of of God and the covenant, what we have to understand is that God is relational and he wants to be in relationship with you. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you're at now, he wants to be in relationship with you. Let me say these things in conclusion. Some of you have seen God in one of these ways. This vending machine, this cosmic force, or this, this absent God. God is up there and he's out there, but he's not here. He's not in my life, he's not in my world. And I would just want to encourage you today that indeed He is. He is active. He is present. He loves you. And He's inviting you into relationship with Him.
decision for Christ, we just simply ask that you fill out a connection card. There's some lines on the back and just indicate that you made a decision for Christ today. We ask that you just turn that in at our welcome center or you can give that to me. Uh, That's just simply a way of us being able to come alongside of you in your new faith. And we would love to do that. And as we come to our prayer time this morning, I would ask that you pray for my family in two ways. Just a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned that my dad, who has been suffering from pancreatic cancer, was found to be cancer-free. And the doctor said, as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to see you for a year. Uh, but shortly after that, just a couple of weeks, he started feeling re- really ill. And uh, the cancer is back now in full force, worse than it has been up to this point. So I'd ask that you pray for my dad. And uh, many of you have been praying for his healing, and I appreciate that. Could you continue to do that? And also, our family received uh, news just on Friday uh, that my grandma, who is um, well into her 80s, uh, suffered a brain aneurysm on the left side of her brain. Uh, She is in stable condition now, but they are uh, simply waiting for that to run its course, and it won't be long outside of a a miraculous healing from God. So our family has had a difficult week, and so I just ask that you could pray for us as we um, decide and make decisions and uh, deal emotionally with all the news that we've received. I would appreciate your prayers. Let's pray together. God, you are a good God. And we don't understand why we face challenges and We just simply know, God, that disease, evil, are a reality in our world. But right next to that reality is you, the good, loving, all-powerful God. So, God, I pray that our faith would not be shaken in times of difficulty or in times of bad news. But I'd rather pray, God, that in those times that we would move even closer in our relationship with you. And so, God, I lift up my family as we deal with the difficult news, not only of my dad, but also my grandma. I pray, God, that you would give us a peace. I pray that you would give us a confidence in who you are and your ability to heal. And God, I pray indeed for healing for my dad. God, we have seen the evidence of your power and your ability. And we believe, God, that you have healed him once and you can heal him again. And so, God, we pray for that. And we ask it in your name and for your glory. And God, I also know that there are many prayer requests of a similar nature that maybe aren't as well known. And maybe nobody knows. But God, we realize that those prayer requests are there. And so we pray, Lord, for your presence to be in our lives in a very real way, as you have promised in Scripture. So God, I suppose it's it's more accurate not to pray that your presence would be there, but that we would be assured and feel confident in your presence. And God, I uh, just ask that as there are a multitude of other needs, relational needs of reconciliation, financial needs of, of just knowing how to make ends meet this month, 
We ask God that you would reveal yourself to us in brand new ways. We pray, God, that we would hear of of miracles happening in this community as you are the all-sufficient God. And God, I pray that you would continue to help us to be a a tight-knit community, one that engages in authentic relationship together, but is also very welcoming to anyone that may walk through our doors. And God, we do all of this not to pat ourselves on the back, not to feel great about ourselves, but to give you praise and respond to your goodness to us. God, that's why we gather and that's why we sing songs and we seek to hear from you simply that we may live more rightly and more perfectly for you. For God, that is the desire of our hearts. And so would you walk with us? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to live the lives that you have set out for us? May we live in victory. May may we be reminded of the victory declarations that we did last week, Lord. May those victory declarations not be a one-week thing, but be something in truths that we live by. So God, we confess and profess today that you are a good God. We thank you for your love. And we ask God that you would go with us into this week, into all of our responsibilities. May all that we do bring honor and glory to your name, we pray. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I encourage you to come next week as we look at the steps of the covenant and all that that means for our lives. Uh, I encourage you to bring a friend uh, as we have plenty of room to put them. And we're so excited about what God is doing here. So thank you so much. I will see you next week.